Good morning, everybody, um, and welcome to the Lectionary Call-In Podcast. I guess we're going to change that name. Um, just a word of welcome. Uh, this particular podcast um, is focused on the Gospel Lectionary each week um, of the coming Sunday, um, and this Sunday uh, will be the 14th of January, and um, we are focused on the Gospel of John, Chapter 1, 43 through 51, and um, just as uh, as we prepare, this is kind of how we do it, um, the call moderator, facilitator, poses questions and sends them out to um, the participants of the call, usually a couple of lay people and a couple of people who've been, um, I should say, edumacated to be uh, uh, pastors and um then we reflect on those questions and come back together and have a conversation. We record the conversation so that we can talk about our insights and our um, understandings of the gospel lectionary and, and come up with a, a more full picture of what we think the gospel is about. Um, so I think next I'm going to ask us to introduce each other. Um, and on the call today or on the, the podcast today, we have... Bill Hall in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I'm John. Oh, go ahead, there. No, go ahead. Uh, and and I'm John Ryder uh, from uh, technically from Valrico, Florida. And I'm Sarah Mickelson, and I'm in Tampa, Florida. Um, and so our gospel lectionary, and we normally read the lectionary and then have a discussion of the questions. Um, today's gospel lectionary again is John chapter one, verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And when Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said, truly, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? And Nathanael and Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? You will see greater things than these, he said to him. Truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. And that ends our scripture. Um, In reading a number of the gospel um, lectionary commentaries, um, it was pointed out that the word decided to go to Galilee might be written differently. Um, And I'm curious as to the words being used were slightly different. So my first question, um, I should say as a preamble to my first question, I'm kind of rambling. Um, The season of of Epiphany prompts me to look for what is being revealed about Jesus and about God. So my first question um, 
talks a little bit about the commentaries translating the word decided in the first verse to the word wanted. And it's an interesting translation change so that the passage would read the next day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee to find Philip and, and, and talk to him. So I thought that was really a, a slightly different look at this intentionality that's being used by Jesus. So what does this idea of intentionality or intentionally seeking Philip reveal about Jesus? Bill, what do you got? Uh, as I said to you in the pre-recording, I think intentionality is at the very heart of this narrative. First of all, a quick comment. Um, and this doesn't detract from the value or the authenticity of scripture. It may well have been that the actual interactions were more expansive than this recording. Uh, if you report an event, you distill it. So I read this as, as a distillation of this encounter, and I can well believe comfortably that there was maybe Jesus had met Philip previously. All of that's not critical, but uh, we're dealing with somebody who said, now, what did all that mean? And I thank you for zeroing in on intentionality. First, a little uh, back uh, narrative, and I'll speak directly to your question. To me, a part of the, also the heart of the story is Nathaniel asked Jesus, where did you get to know me? Jesus's intentionality with Philip and Nathaniel is based on what he knew about them in, uh, in depth. 1 Corinthians 13, we see in a mirror dimly. Uh, it can also, in Greek, mean a riddle, indistinct. But then we will see face-to-face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, is even as I have been fully known. The power of being known is at the essence of this. And now in the lectionary for this week, there are other passages. I'll briefly refer to two of them. In 1 Samuel 3, it's the story of young Samuel waking up three times a night, going to Eli, who was in many ways an ineffective leader. He didn't deal with his son's misuse of their position as priest. Even though he was ineffective and with limited physical sight, Eli discerned and enabled the young boy Samuel to be aware of God's call in spite of the seeming disconnect between Samuel's age and God's purpose for him. Uh, Another story of God seeking someone out. And then Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You knitted me together in my mother's womb, a powerful image of how Fully, God knows us. Um, God knows us even better than we know ourselves. Um, Ron Bell, in the Upper Room Disciplines, 
writes of this story, God knows us in our entirety beyond the parts of us that we are cognizant of and those yet to be discovered. Um, So um, Jesus was clear about his purpose, his mission, uh, good news to the poor, release of the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free. Jesus' mission was to be on the margins of society with those, quote, considered the least of these. And Jesus understood the variety of gifts, talents, and personalities needed in those that Jesus would choose to be disciples. So back to intentionality. To use modern-day management uh, imagery, Jesus wasn't particularly interested in anybody's resume. You probably read that humorous thing about the characteristics of all the disciples. Why would you want that motley crew? But rather, what's important is, does this person fit for this project with this team? So for reasons not explained, Jesus knew Philip, saw something in Philip and Nathaniel that was needed for Jesus's mission, and Jesus chose, wanted to reach out to Philip. Thank you for the question, Sarah. What are your thoughts, John? So I think this idea of intentionality for me is um, is very much in keeping in line with the the picture of uh, Jesus that John portrays, um, and that's a Jesus who is uh, in control, um, who has agency, um, whose divine nature is clear, um, and who's carrying out a plan that's been in place since um, since the Word became flesh, um, and so. Um, I think we see throughout John Jesus acting very intentionally, and that and that's evident here in this um, passage as well. Um, uh, some of my thoughts were similar to where Bill ended on. There is that anytime I've had to the opportunity to hire folks, put together a team, or to assemble a group of people for something, um, you know, yes, there's an element of waiting for applicants to come in, but um, but there's also a, a, a degree of recruitment. And pursuit. You, you know, there's somebody that you know about who might be interested in this job, and you reach out and say, "Hey, this is an opportunity. We know of your gifts. We'd love to to have you apply, or that sort of thing." And so, there's a um, a selection process that goes together when you're putting this team together. And so, kind of like in, in line with what Bill was just saying, you know, you're you're pursuing folks that you think would be the best for your organization, or the best for your mission or your vision, and you're putting together gifts that may seem different, um, but you've kind of got a vision of how those are all going to come together. And I think Jesus definitely had that as he's putting together these disciples. And so this question makes me, of course, recognize Jesus' intentionality in doing that, but it also makes me then want to explore more, okay, what are all the different gifts in these different disciples that Jesus saw um, that that he was excited about pulling together into uh, a you know the sum of those all those parts being greater than their individual pieces. So, um, so it just it prompts me to want to okay, well, what gift did that disciple have? What gift did that disciple have? And so that that's a it's a fun question to kind of go down that that route to. But definitely think Jesus was intentional about who he was calling and the in the manner in which he was doing it. 
I think you're on mute, Sarah. Don, you keep freezing on my screen. I don't know if it's just my screen or, Bill, are you seeing it too? Just to kind of go, hmm. So I, I thought about this question, and it the the the, I guess the way I read this particular scripture, it's almost like Jesus is making a beeline to where Philip is currently, and not where Philip is supposed to be. He hints that Philip is from Bethsaida, but he's going to Galilee, which is a different location, and that's where he finds Philip. So it's it was kind of triggered in my head that Jesus's desire to speak directly to Philip where Philip is not where Philip's supposed to be and and that triggered a whole line of thinking in my head it seems that God through Jesus is planful deliberate and eager to meet Philip where he is in this story Um, and by proxy uh, eager to meet each one of us as we are where we are how we are and not where we're supposed to be, or whatever we imagine supposed to be looking like. And God and Jesus want to be known, and they want to be found. I think that was the other wonderful um, thing I bumped into. Uh, It seems that in this intentional act of being found and finding, we catch a glimpse of who God is, and who we truly are, Um, and who we are meant to become. I think there's a certain amount of truth being revealed here. And sometimes when you bump into somebody that just understands the way your brain works and maybe your things that you think are funny, it gives you a different kind of uh, foundational friendship. Uh, I think about those people that look at me and I'm not connecting. They don't, they don't, they don't get my jokes. They don't get my, my little funny puns and things like that. And then I bump into somebody else who just laughs at everything. And they go, I get just about everything you're saying. And I love hanging out with you. I think there's something about that comfort zone that's created. Um, maybe that's the right way to put it. Or the things that don't need to be spoken th- that are just kind of nod our heads. And we go, yeah, it's like that. It feels really good. And it's interesting to me that God and Jesus are seeking that out. And so that was really comforting to me. Um, and the, the other fine art is we don't have to be prepared. We have to be responsive. And that's a different thing. So question number two, in the dialogue between Philip and Nathaniel, And again, between Jesus and Nathaniel, John presents us with insights into Jesus. What ministry characteristics of Jesus and God are revealed in these exchanges? You know, people make choices about words and tone and um, inflection. And I, I don't know that we get all that from the scripture necessarily, but in my head, this story plays out with a lot of, um, fun little quirky ways of saying things. So John, do you have any thoughts about the ministry characteristics of Jesus and how they're revealed in these exchanges? Yeah, I, th- I think for me, a couple that came, that came forward. The first Are you with is us, John? I am. Yeah. Bill. Oh, you got me now? Yeah. Got I, you now. I, yeah. I, I think it's still recording. I think we're just it's having a little lag. So we'll just keep 
hopefully you get my words and it'll get recorded on here um, sure. at the end. Uh, so the characteristics that, that I lifted up was, for me, um, we we seen here um, a reminder of the human nature of Jesus, uh, because we've got him uh, being referred to uh, initially, you know, Philip says, we found him, the one who Moses talked about, the prophets have talked about, this is the son of Joseph, you know, this is Joseph's kid from Nazareth. So we're reminded, I think, of his human nature, you know, it doesn't say this is the son of you know, this is a descendant of King David. It's this is Joseph's son. So we're reminded of his human nature. We're reminded of his divine nature when he comes on the scene and he's telling Philip about this uh, experience of I saw you under the fig tree. And there's this mystery there that we're not included on. There's some backstory about this fig tree um, scene that we we don't know. But obviously, it's a revelation to Nathaniel. And it's proof that, you know, he knows more than just the average guy. Um, and then Jesus, of course, concludes it by saying, you're going to see this amazing thing. You're going to see the heavens open and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so I think we're reminded of his divine nature there. So we got human nature, divine nature coming through. I also hear an inviting um, characteristic that comes through in the ministry where he says, you know, um, it, it, there's this element of follow me. Um, and Philip's exchange with Nathaniel, come and see. I mean, I think all those are lifting up this this ministry characteristic of of an invitation. And then finally, for me, um, Jesus in his exchange with Nathaniel is is truthful and direct. And so, I mean, I hear an element of kind of of uh, well, there's definitely some skepticism from Nathaniel. But I hear an element of snarkiness too. You know, of what can good can come, Nazareth? Who's this guy? And how do you? From where do you know me? And he responds directly with him and with truth about who he knows Nathaniel to be and um, what he's going to see and what he's going to experience. So I think the the nature of who Jesus is, both human and divine, and then this inviting but yet direct and truthful are those characteristics I that I see in these exchanges. Um. I see God seeking not only to be with us, but in the words of Caroline Lewis, to become one with us. And it's a two-way street, this relational movement, and it's transformational. She uses a wonderful word called transfigural, um, and even says, made that word up, which I thought was really powerful. Um, We can now see God in who we are. I think that's you know, one thing that disconnect between humanity and divinity has always been beyond my sight, beyond my understanding, beyond my comprehension. And in this story, we see the humanity of Jesus coming through and that being something that we could see as a human, seeing Jesus as who we are, which I think is a totally different, um, boundary breaking, if we were to talk a little bit about that. Um, Jesus's ministry is about honoring and acknowledging um, that there's a give and receive, an exchange of truth and identity that that travels across this relational um, superhighway, if there is such a thing. And this being fully known idea um, that that it's not just God moves in mysterious ways. It's like we get to see Jesus with intentionality, not moving mysteriously, but doing things that we can't explain, but doing them with purpose. 
So I think that is another dismantling of a, a boundary that we've been wrestling with. Um, I think that there's, um, even today, this is challenging as we start to um, be reconciled to who we understand God and Jesus to be and who we understand ourselves to be. And this general confrontation and collaboration kind of peppers the whole ministry of Jesus as he starts to encounter people and and starts to reconcile them back into the family or back into the community or back into the social structures that are designed to be supportive of and 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 supportive to the growth and relationship with God. Um, I think that even today we are kind of working through that. I think that this particular passage um, points to us and says there are moments where we don't want to be found and we don't want to be known. Kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden after the fall. It's like we don't want to become fully known because we feel like what we have to offer is not up to snuff, so to speak. And I said, we often want to, uh, we don't often want to yield and acknowledge what we need. And whether that's help or whether that's company or whether that's um, a vision for a future movement. Sometimes we're in that stagnant place where we need somebody else to see the future for us. Jesus' ministry is surprising. Um, and I'm going to say crossing those imaginary boundaries and bringing reconciliation and revelation along for the ride. I think that's what's really lovely about this particular passage. And I love the the lighthearted exchanges, the snarkiness, if you will, of Nathaniel. Um, and then the, the kind of laying the undertone of, yeah, but in that snarkiness, you're not being deceitful. You're being truthful. So I love that. What do you got, Bill? Uh Thank you both for picking up on the humanity of Jesus as well as the divinity. Uh, what ministry characteristics? Uh, God speaks directly and personally to us, often catching us off guard and seeing potential in us that we do not see in ourselves. And this is a theme throughout Scripture. Only a couple of obvious examples. Moses had murdered an Egyptian fled the country, established himself in a foreign country, trying to hide, and God finds him in the burning bush. David was the youngest of all the sons, and yet God chose him. And David was at times uh, not uh, the exact opposite of Nathaniel. David committed adultery and other things. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. Saul, who became Paul, was a persecutor of Christians. Again, back to resumes, why would you want those kind of people in your um, team uh, working for you? So God has, there is a mystery <laughs> to God's choices. And one of my favorite phrases is from Jeremiah twenty nine eleven that God has a future with hope for us. Um, and that's true for all of us. Another characteristic, to use a modern term, Jesus cuts to the chase. The narrative as we have it, Jesus offers no explanation for why he wanted Philip. We can infer from the comment to Nathaniel that he is without guile, 
but there had to be more to it uh, than that. And I did a word study of the Greek word for guile. And unless I overlook something, it occurs a number of other times in the New Testament, always in a negative way. Jesus says you are without guile. There are various lists of vices and guile or deceit is there. So there, that's a stark contrast. Um, other New Testament writers are dealing with the problem that Christians were engaging in deceit. And so uh, to be free of that behavior was a strong endorsement. And Jesus was clear that at the beginning, there would not be a full un- understanding of the mission he was on and which he was calling others to embrace. And Jesus was willing to live with that, that it would take time for them to understand. And we know, fast-forwarding through the Gospels, a clearer understanding did not occur until after the crucifixion and resurrection. But So a characteristic, Sarah, he was willing to be patient. And at times expressed frustration with the disciples for not understanding, but accepted that. And obviously, Jesus taught by example, as well as by instruction. And he taught by what we would today call experiential learning. He sent the disciples out to preach, to heal, uh, to uh, minister. Um, And this encounter between Jesus, Philip, and Nathaniel is recorded only in the Gospel of John. And regarding the characteristics of Jesus, we note that in this story, immediately following this story, Jesus went to the wedding at Cana of Galilee. Jesus moved on. And I, I, I focus on that, the, the sense of moving on, not getting stuck, uh, whether it's your a mountaintop experience or a valley experience. Those are some of the characteristics I see, Sarah. Thank you, Bill. Um, that leads me to question three, and this is kind of a left field question, but a number of the commentary that I read laid this particular passage out parallel to the story of Jacob and in how um the dialogue that Jesus has with Nathaniel and the, the conversation afterwards where Jesus goes, you know, you, you believe because you, you know, you hear I saw you under a fig tree before I met you. Wait till you see the stuff that's coming and you're going to see, you know, something like angels ascending and descending from heaven, which kind of connected it back to the story of Jacob um, and his I should say, um, emotional turbulence as he starts to reconcile with his brother Esau. So I, I kind of wanted to lay this passage next to that portion of the story of Jacob where Jacob is wrestling and Jacob is starting to make motion toward returning home and trying to get his heart ready to see Esau again. So I, I wondered, um, what do you make of the echoes of Jacob's story in this passage and how or what might that be revealing to us? What do you think, John? Uh, I think for me, 
Well, I'll just lift up one other echo that is there too, is is the echo of Jacob is the deceiver. In contrast, you know, he here is Nathaniel, an Israelite, of which there is no deceit. So there's kind of that thread there. There's also, of course, the vision thread. I, I think for me, you know, in the vision to Jacob, there's a promise that Abraham's descendants, Jacob, are going to be blessed. And then this is kind of a, a continuation or renewal of that promise with Jesus serving as uh, the agent of God's blessing. So, um, you know, here we have Jesus, and it's a reminder that Jesus is here to continue that that vision um, and to fulfill God's promises, God's promise of blessing. Um, and and I think for the hearers of the story then, and as we make these connections now, it's kind of a we we pull these threads of themes and images that appear in Old Testament and in and are referenced again in the New Testament, and it's just for me a reminder of the scope of God's story. You know, the scope of Scripture, the the scope of God's involvement in the world, and so being you know an an early uh, an early Christian hearing the story, you're reminded of that and thinking back to that you know, Jacob's dream, but also I think as we hear it as contemporary readers, we're reminded of just kind of how 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 wide the scope is of the stories in scripture and how they're uh it's a book that, you know, refers to itself and and there's there's beauty in that. Um the the other thing I noted is that in in Jacob's exchange, his name is changed to Israel, right? And so in that name change, um it represents a new beginning. And while these guys didn't have a name change, Philip and Nathaniel, I think being called to be a disciple um, represents a new beginning. Um, and so uh, their life will never be the same now in following um, in following Jesus. So uh, those are some of the thoughts I jotted down and kind of reflecting on how Jacob ties um, and, and what that means. Bill, what are your thoughts? Well, as... Uh, John has noted for us, there's a contrast. The word Jacob in Hebrew meant grasper, and he was so named because he was grasping the heel of his twin brother Esau as they were being born. So Esau was the firstborn, which figures powerfully in the the narrative, the the right of the firstborn and how uh, Jacob by deceit took that away from Esau, though Esau participated and chose to be deceived in a sense. Um, And this competition and quest for dominance by Jacob continued with his being deceitful, leading to significant conflict between the two brothers. And thank you for the reminder, John, of the name change. Uh, Again, gets at the heart of the gospel that um the name change was indicative of a change in the person by by God's grace uh, and there's a stark contrast Nathaniel is described in effect as the exact opposite of Jacob being no no guile no deceit and Jacob and Nathaniel had very different personalities and different personal ethics, yet each was called by God to move into the new and embrace the challenges and excitement of change. Again, to quote from Ron Ronald Bell in the Upper Room Disciplines, which goes over all the stories, uh, 
Bell writes, Jesus calls the disciples away from what they know of as home, in the full meaning of that, from their towns and houses, and even from their communities and families. But Jesus invites them to come and see a new family, a new way of being in community, the family of God. By accepting this invitation, the disciples experience an entirely new way of living. That, to me, is the heart of the gospel of this passage, that being called is a powerful experience based on, in some ways, the frightening awareness that God knows us as we fully are. Every time I read those passages in the Old and New Testament, I wince a little because there are thoughts in my mind that I have never shared with anybody. I would be embarrassed to verbalize them on this podcast, and yet the thought that God knows me fully as I am in the darkness and the light is both concerning and freeing. The truth will set us free. Again, thank you for the question, Sarah, and the journey they lead us on. Yeah, I will say that it seems like in the story of Jacob, his shortfalls are very um, public or revealed to us as the readers of his story. Um, And I agree with you, Bill. There are things that I'm not sure anybody reading my story would want to know, um, and they don't seem to, to add up to anything positive. So... I, I'm kind of in thinking about that, wondering, you know, if, if how other people would perceive the, the values that um, I have and how they are reflected in my thoughts. So my thinking about this, I'm thinking about Jacob wrestling with the spirit of God all night long. And I don't know if you've ever participated in a wrestling match like that, but I think it seems I do this, and I wonder if it's something that's universal, that, that we all seem to um, defy and, um, and, and, and acknowledge that this is hard. And it, it puts us in a position where we have to really sit back on our heels and consider that, that what God is suggesting that we do is the right thing for us to do. Like, like we understand the right thing to do more than God would. So I'm, I'm going to say God seems to honor that defiance and walks with Jacob as he moves. Even if, you know, he's kind of, his hip is a knocked out of socket or whatever happens. Jacob continues to walk forward into the reconciliation with Esau. And I think the reminder of his hip <laughs> issue, my dog is barking. Um, the hip issue is, is, is a constant reminder that God is with him in this moment. So God wrestles with us um, to escape our limited expectations of, of him. But perhaps God also wrestles with us so that we can escape our limited um, understanding and expectations or perceptions of who we are. So this interesting thing happens is that you recognize you're stronger than you, you thought you were. And you can put up with or walk through turbulence that you didn't imagine you had the strength to pursue. So there's this sense of that 
understanding that God has of us empowers us to move forward in his purposes. And so I kind of like that, the way that story works with the parallel to Nathaniel and Philip, um, that God sees these two people and Jesus sees these two individuals as essential and, and, and purposeful to the mission at hand. Um, I think that, uh, you know, that, that in, in that moment, when they step up to the opportunity, they, their personalities are essential to the story, but they become who they need to be because Jesus believes in them. Um, I wonder also about Jesus being the ladder that connects heaven and earth. And that um, Jacob transforms from the liar, the runner, the cheater, the pretender, and sets himself, we have him kind of setting up as an every person or an every man in that story. And that Jesus comes to us no matter where we are, no matter who we are, um, like he does to Nathaniel, like he does to Jacob, and like he does to us. And not necessarily ready for <laughs> perfection or holiness or um, sanctity. It's just God steps in and goes, you know, I like who you are. I'm going to, I'm going to say, it. let's mute, let's work together. Let's, let's see where we can take this. Um, you know, it's kind of like a, a good collaborative effort. Always is a surprise to find out where it ends up. And I really like that about the story of Jacob. And I like that about the story of Nathaniel and Philip. So that's what I have. Um, and, and I think that kind of brings us um, to a, Final thoughts. Anybody have any final thoughts? I just want to remind folks that if they've got um, comments or suggestions or questions for us, uh, there'll be a little um, uh, link at, at, and, and hopefully in the in the notes about this or or in on the final screen of this uh, podcast. But it's um, we have an email address: lectionarycallin at palmacia.org. and we welcome any suggestion, comments, or questions you all might have. And again, this, this podcast is sponsored by Palmasia Presbyterian Church in Tampa, Florida, and uh, has been for many years. We do it in honor of um, Bill Wallaf, who was the dean of the chapel at our church for many years and led a Sunday school class um, structured similarly to this. And we've um, moved it into a podcast format um, and found it quite helpful. And uh, we're glad that you're here. And we hope that you'll visit palmacia.org, P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org for uh, the collection of opportunities to listen to other podcasts, to participate in worship. Um, And the music is wonderful, and uh, you'll find more humor there as well. So um, we invite you to check that out, and uh, we'll see you next time.